Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure for me to be back here at Tri-Village Church. I haven't been with you in several months. I still remember when you all were simply a blip in Will and Lon's mental framework. We were wondering, would God really bless the starting of a church in this area and how he has? We're so glad you're here. Uh, whether you're a student at Judson, I understand there's a ton of you guys here now, or you, you saw our signs, or you responded to our Facebook ads, or a friend just said, you ought to come to this church. The music's great, and the guy that speaks is wild, man. He's just wild. Uh, whatever brought you here, we're glad you're here. And I want to say a special welcome today to any of you that came because you were invited for this Sunday. We, we are in this thing called Explore God for seven weeks, and today's theme is, Is There a God? Now, I tried to put myself in your shoes as I was listening to this worship service. If you're someone who came and you're not sure there's a God, you, you probably are thinking, well, evidently these people do. Because every song we sang is our belief in God. Um, and so I, I won't lie about that. What we're trying to do is deal with the seven great, seven great questions of life from a Christian perspective. We're not going to try to force you into anything, but we're going to suggest why we believe the things that we believe. And one of those is that there's a God. Sometimes I come to church because I need to be reminded tell you the honest to God truth. I mean, we, we had that beautiful piece by Martin Luther King on the dignity of all humans. Uh, another term for that is sanctity of life. This is the weekend we not only remember Dr. King and his great war against racism in any shape or form, it's also the weekend we remember about the hundreds and thousands and millions of lives that were taken before birth. It's also the time when, when we remember that there's injustice and uh, everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have listened to the radio today, you guys, when I was coming up here. Uh, I didn't know that the Arctic ice pack was melting six times faster than we thought it was even five years ago. I, I didn't want to be reminded of the story of a 13-year-old girl who was abducted from her home in Wisconsin after seeing her parents murdered, stuffed in a trunk of a car and kidnapped. I don't want to know about that stuff. That's the stuff that makes me think there can't be a God. It seems that life is out of control. You have every right to wonder if there's a God. Or if there is a God, is that God powerful? Or if there is a God, is that God good? I mean, maybe he started the whole thing and said, I'm bored, I'm going to do something else now. You have reasons to think that. I, I got a couple of quotes. I got a great book a few years ago somebody gave me. It calls, it's called Children's Letters to God. See if you can relate to this one. Dear God, how do you feel about people who don't believe in you? Someone else wants to know. Dear God, are you real? Some don't believe it. And then I love that this kid says, but if you are, you better do something quick. 
Well, they express all our own hearts, too. Is there a God? Or is this all fabricated? Is it, is it wishful thinking? Are we, um, are, are we drugged into a God-belief society? I don't know where you're at. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you five reasons why I believe there is a God. I call them the fingerprints of God are everywhere. One, two, three, four, five. I still go back to these when I find myself crushed under the weight of what appears to be an unjust world. And, uh, and so it's my joy to bring them to you. Now, you may know that each week we're also giving you an opportunity to, to start a relationship with God if you choose to believe in him. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. He was the God-man who became um, a man for us, died on the cross for the forgiveness of everything we've ever done wrong, and we believe in the Christian way of thinking that you can actually come to know and experience God in your life. At the end of the message, I'll give you an opportunity to take your Connect card, and actually, I've written a prayer that I wrote just for this message today. And if there's some of you here who don't know this God, or you want to come back to him, you can just check that you did that so we can get you some good information. But here we go. The five fingerprints of God. Okay. Uh, the first one has to do with what I call the fingerprint of changed lives. So we'll make it this one. Okay, there it is. That fingerprint. The fingerprint of changed lives. You say, well, what are you talking about, Lon? It, it would be this. First of all, look at this passage from the Scriptures. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, uh, we'll use it as it helps inform us and suggest that you consider it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So one of the leading premises of Christian life is that when you come to uh, Jesus Christ, his spirit actually enters you and you become a new person inside. You're still yourself, but now you're infused with God and all that God is blended in with, uh, in with your own personality. And, and we call that the new creation. The new creation has come. The, the old is gone. It's a whole new way of, of living. And I, I'm old enough now to tell you, I have seen this happen over and over again. We had one young man who started attending the um, West Chicago campus about three or four years ago, and you couldn't miss him. Tall, rugged-looking guy. Could, could, could have been a, you know, a, a captain in the military or something. Uh, eyes that, that were saying he was checking everything out. And then stories that I began to hear from others about this guy and that this guy was a leader of leaders where he lived down in Joliet and that he was uh, dealt in drugs and, and, and had tremendous following and authority. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he coming to our church for? Well, he fell in love with one of our girls. That's a great way to come to faith. Uh, I did the same thing, you know. Okay, uh, but he did, and she finally said to him, I won't go out with you anymore unless you come with me to church. And he started coming. And the next thing you knew, the Bible, which he had never dealt with, 
suddenly becomes his closest companion, and he's reading the whole thing, and he'd start writing me or some of the other pastors questions that are theologically deep, and we're going, who is this guy? What is happening? And then he was converted to Christ. He became a leader of others, and the people he sold drugs to, he now gave free Bibles to. And he married that wonderful woman, and they have children together, and he's a leader in the church only three years after his life was changed. All of that leadership stuff was thrown into making a, a new kind of human. That's what I mean. I've seen it. I've seen it for 50 years, changed lives. You can't fabricate it, and you'd say, well, it'll wear off. Well, it hasn't. I can even get closer to home for you here. We have three wonderful children, uh, Marie and I. Uh, and one of them, during her adolescent years, went crazy on us. Uh, parents, have you ever had a crazy child? Okay, all right. When they become adolescents, they're really dangerous because they can hurt themselves and others. And this little girl who was raised in the church and sang the Bible song and went to a Wana club suddenly turned inhuman. And she started doing everything that was wrong. It got so bad, we didn't even know if she was going to stay alive. Boy, those calls in the middle of the night. She went away to college. We hoped it might help. We got a call one day. Daddy and Mom, I've come back to Jesus. We go, yeah, right. Pretty simple. <laughs> got to earn the trust again. She did. She had a dream, a vision in the middle of the night when she was in college. And God spoke to her and said, I didn't create you for a life of wanton pleasure. I created you to make a difference in the world. And she just radically converted. And today, that beautiful young woman has given us two grandchildren, has a wonderful husband, and now she counsels me on God. Fingerprint number one that there is a God is I have seen it, folks. And many of you have too. You would say my own life testifies that changed life that can occur is bombastic in its impact in the world. That's the first thing I remember. Fingerprint number two. Creation, beauty, and precision. I love this one. Look at this scripture we're going to put up there right now. It comes from the uh, Psalms or the, or the book of poetry in the sacred writings. It's about right in the middle of the Bible, and this is Psalms 19 and just verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Now, that's, that's what we call deep poetry. It, it, it's saying that, that 
the things that have been made in the world are a testimony of the maker. The creation in its beauty, in its splendor, in its gargantuousness is all pointing to the one who created it all. Almost as if it has speech and it was declaring, God is real, God is real, God is real, God is real. I mean, even this morning, I got up about, when I'm speaking somewhere on Sunday, I usually get up about 5.30 because I'm a holy man. Uh, and it's still real dark. And I have this uh, place where I love to sit in our house and we have a picture window. And it snowed like crazy yesterday, remember that? Uh, well, uh, as soon as it got to be dawn, the sun came out. And there it was again. The reality of untouched pristine snow with the sun shining on it is one of the great ahs of life. Marie and I went to the Grand Canyon this summer for a few days. I love the Grand Canyon. Incidentally, if you love the Grand Canyon, you want to learn to follow the music of Grofe, G-R-O-F-E, classical composer. His Grand Canyon suite is what you need to have on your ears when you first step up to the South Rim. And you can't believe it. There are no words. There is no speech. And yet the voice and the reality of it goes out to all the world. Beauty, power, majesty. The first flowers of spring. The first bird song of spring. A baby. Uh, Marie and I have a perfect grandchild. There is no sin in her. <laughs> She's three months old. I know the day is coming. But to just see her birth, there are no words. And yet speech goes out. The Bible says this. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Atheists say, scientific atheists, they say, in the beginning, matter was all there was. Well, who made the matter? But beyond that, really? Really, this beauty, this precision, all by chance, because there was some matter that exploded at a certain time? Let's go to the precision thing. The chances of us being here today were not good. The chances of there being life in the universe were not good. Now, I don't pretend to understand all that cosmology has going on in it, but I do know a couple of names that I listen to when they're talking about the creation and the precision and how every single thing had to work just the way that it did with the chances of us coming up with this infinitesimally small. Stephen Hawking said this, if the universe's expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part, now watch, 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 you, you won't even be able to imaginatively put this number in your head. If the universe's expansion one second after the Big Bang 
had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have collapsed into a fireball. Should I read that again to you? I think so. Gonna dead anyway. Uh, <laughs> if the universe's expansion one second after the Big Bang had been, that's, that, that Hawking didn't do that part, but I do. Okay, by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have collapsed into a fireball. You're saying Stephen Hawking, who himself never said he believed in God. He believed in chance. It had done it. But what are the odds? Yes. Hi, David. What are the odds? Turn this off. What are the odds of it working? Here's a, another um, uh, British physicist, uh, P.W. Davies, said this. The odds against the initial conditions right for star formation, planets, life, the odds against the initial conditions working out perfectly for star formation, planets, life is one with 1,000 billion zeros after it. Beauty. We used to call this the watchmaker argument. If there's a watch, there's got to be a watchmaker. Fingerprint number one, change lives. Fingerprint number two, beauty and precision. Creation itself is like a voice crying out that there is a God. Let's go to number three. Number three, I call this the morality map. This one's not as fun. Uh, just a second. Uh, but it's very, very true, the morality map. Uh, you were born with a conscience, weren't you? Uh, we have a second granddaughter, and she does have sin in her life. She, uh, <laughs> she's two and a half. And she's at that stage now where she literally will do things she knows she's not supposed to do to see if she can get away with it. And you can see it in her eyes. Aubrey? Yes, Grandpa? It's in her. There's a conscience that's there. Yeah, I don't know how many of you have ever read uh, the great Christian apologist. His name is C.S. Lewis, and he was a professor of literature at both Cambridge and Oxford, mid-20th century, and he's become a foremost thinker and helper to us in this thing. But in his great book, Mere Christianity, he spends about seven of, of the first chapters simply talking about he came to believe there had to be a God because there was a conscience that was placed in every human being. Almost like a part of our DNA that, that, that was in there. Uh, and and, and, and uh, there's this inherent sense of things that are right and things that are wrong. 
Now you, now you can say, especially if you're a sociology major, you can say, well, that's all socially conditioned. Well, no, anthropologists who find these little tribes of people that haven't ever seen a Coke bottle in different parts of the world, and you start studying cultures that have never been influenced by any other culture, and they still have a moral map inside them. Things that are right and things that are wrong. If we are simply the result of matter working the right way, regardless of a thousand with a thousand billion zeros after it, if that's what we are, where in the world did we get to this thing called conscience? We'd be a lot better off without it. Well, no, we wouldn't. Because then every car that cut you off felt they had the right. And now you pass them and you throw fingers at them, suggesting that they get their life together. <laughs> what is it in us? That's not right. You watch a television show or something and, and you can tell, or pff, referees in football games, especially that everyone's against the Bears. I, I just know it. And, and you're, you're, if you're into sports, you're always yelling at the refs, no, 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 that's not right. We've all got that that's not right in us. Oh, and incidentally, that that's not right also convicts us all the time. Ooh, I shouldn't have ought to said that. Ooh. Why in the world did I do that? Believe it or not, God has placed his own moral sense of rightness inside every human being. And we're never satisfied because not only is everyone else in the world doing wrong things, I do wrong things. Well, where did we get that oughtness? It's a sign that there was a creator God, who placed moral conscience within us. Fingerprint number one, change lives. Fingerprint number two, creation in its beauty and its precision. Fingerprint number three, the moral responsibility, the moral law, the moral map, if you would. As I said um, in my notes here, I said, there is a morality we've never known and yet we desire it. Where did that come from? I think from a creator God. I learned about it early. I, I still, I still think about this one. My, uh, when I was in the fourth grade, my brother was in the second grade, and we lived in Valparaiso, Indiana. Uh, and we, we were on a gravel road, and we used to play chicken with our bikes. And, you, you know, you come at each other and whoever turns away first, they're the chicken. And since I was bigger and older, he always turned away first. And finally, I thought, this is not fun anymore. Knowing which way he would always turn, I decided I would turn that way too. And I hit him. I hit him good. And he went down. And he had to go to the hospital. Okay. He's fine now. He's also 6'2", so I've moved away. Uh, <laughs> What was it in me that did that? I still 
knowing I know God's forgiven me and my brother's forgiven me, but how awful can I be? Well, where did I get that sense of awful? My own selfishness. God placed a moral map inside me. Wow. Fingerprint number four. Discontentment, number four. And let's look at the scriptures on this one. So, it says in Ecclesiastes 2, 17, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's a chasing, chasing after the wind. Now, I think Will preached out of Ecclesiastes last week. We were all doing that in our different uh, campuses. Um, and, and you may have heard, if you were here last week, the story of this guy who had everything. He had wisdom. He had wealth. He had power beyond belief. He had uh, everything he could want in, in the world of pleasure. And though he had everything, he felt he had nothing. He was never, never content. And I love, I love the language of Ecclesiastes where it says, he sums it up by saying it's a chasing after the wind. There's a great song that the group Kansas put out like 30 years ago. All we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> you guys would be able to do that one really good. And you should. All the great music was from the 60s. <laughs> if nothing on earth fully satisfies us, perhaps it means we were created for another world. There it is. That's C.S. Lewis again. If Nothing on earth satisfies us. It may mean that we were created for another world. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, heard the name of, of the uh, philosopher and author uh, Camus, <coughs> Frenchman, mid-20th uh, century. And Albert Camus wrote some novels of despair. That's the only way to look at them. Uh, he, he was a premier existentialist. And Camus was, became an atheist. And he said that he became an atheist because if there was a God, he was either powerless or mean to allow the world to go on the way that it was. Kind of like what I was talking about when we started. I never knew until this last week when I was reading uh, what I'm about to give you that he didn't always stay at that spot. Here he was, this leading French intellectual, one of the, the leaders of the whole movement toward existentialism. We only exist for ourselves. There's nothing else that we can count on because there is nothing beyond us. There's no divine. And, um, and here's the exact quote. Camus said, here's what happened. Okay, there was a church in the center of Paris called the, the, uh, the English Church of Paris. The, you've got them in, in all the great cities of the world. There's an English-speaking church. And they send in pastors who want to go and spend three or four months, and they preach in those pulpits. Camus slipped into the back of the English-speaking church, and he began to listen to a pastor whose name was Howard Muma, Howard Muma, the American Church of Paris. 
And he began listening to this guy, and then he got together with this pastor who was only there for the summers. And this is what Camus said to him. He said, I'm searching for something I do not have, something I'm not sure I can define. I'm searching for something I do not have. I'm searching for something I don't even know how to define. And so Pastor um, uh, Muma began to meet with him every week and started opening the sacred scriptures to him and reading some of the things we're reading here this morning and helping them to begin to think that, that, that maybe there is a divine and, and, and maybe there's even an answer for, for sorrow and pain. And they spent two or three summers together, and Camus being the mind that he was, he had just countless questions and such. Finally, he came to the day where he said this, Howard, and that was the pastor's first name, he said, I really want this. I really want this Jesus that you were talking about. Would you baptize me? And uh, Muma sadly said, no, I won't. Because Camus only wanted to be baptized privately. He didn't want anyone else to know. And if there's one thing we know about baptism, it's kind of just like a wedding. You don't do it and not tell anybody, right? So he said, well, let's wait till next summer. And then you see if you're willing to have others from the church around you as you celebrate this fact of finding God. And then Camus said to him, my friend, mon cher, thank you. I am going to keep striving for this faith. See, discontent had gotten the best of him. Nothing on earth satisfied. His own philosophical system was not working. And he started looking for something else. And he found him. Unfortunately, he never did get baptized. On January 4th, 1960, Camus died in an automobile crash in Paris. But we're quite convinced that he died having come to know Jesus Christ. The fourth fingerprint, surprisingly, is discontent. First is changed lives. Second is the beauty and precision of creation. Third is this inner conscience, this morality we've got going on. Four is a constant disconnect, so much so that maybe it means that nothing here can fully satisfy and we've been created for something beyond here. People like me and others who have cancer or other diseases, God starts to give us glimpse of, glimpses of the world beyond. And we start to see, believe there is a place where the greens are really green and the blues are really blue and the trees are really perfect. And there is no injustice. And the lion lies down with the lamb. And the baby plays next to the hole of the cobra. These things that the Bible says, we're talking about some place beyond an eternal realm where there is no sadness, no mourning, no pain. The reason that you're never fully satisfied here is because you were created for something more. Fingerprint four. Finally, fingerprint five. Fingerprint five. The longing for relationships. I, life's no good without friends. Life's tough without family. Only relationships will do. And I remember the story of a, I read this a few years ago, you guys. 
It was a story of a, of a, um, a, a little boy and a little girl, brother and sister. He was 10 and she was seven and their parents were separated. It was a true story. I read it in the newspaper. And um, he got in. Well, so it's true because <laughs> it's probably on the Internet, too. Uh, but they literally got the keys to their mother's car, 10 and 7. And the little boy had watched his mom long enough to see how to start the car and start to drive. And he and his sister literally took off in the car, <laughs> ages 10 and 7. And they drove 100 miles before they were pulled over. Because <laughs> it looked like there was a car with no driver. <laughs> and when the police or the sheriff or whoever pulled them over said, Children, what were you doing? And they simply said, We wanted to be with our father. They would do anything to be with their father. Didn't mean they didn't love their mother. They would do anything to be with their father. Well, the fifth fingerprint is that we were created to be with our father. And you say, is God trustworthy? Well, he sent his son, Jesus. And the life that Jesus lived was perfect. And the death that Jesus suffered was atrocious. Tonight, uh, here in the Western Hemisphere and, and around the world, we're going to have a great chance to see what they call a blood moon. Did you read about that at all? Yeah, the blood, have a blood moon tonight. And I did a little reading on it early this morning. And um, yeah, the, 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 the moon tonight between, I think it says between 8 and midnight or something, it is going to look about 15% larger than it is. It's because where we're at in the orbit is as close as we ever get to the moon. And because of being in that proximity, the power of the sun becomes brighter and stronger all around it. And it will illuminate the moon into this brilliant uh, kind of coral redness, they call it. But they call it a blood moon. And I thought that's appropriate. Because if you really wonder if God loves you, all you've got to look to is the one who shed his blood on your behalf. God is not only real. God is not only powerful, we believe, as Christian people. But he loves you with an everlasting love to the point where he shed his own blood that you could be forgiven for all your sins. You were made to be reunited with your father. And so I close with that, that the fifth fingerprint is the longing for relationship. Look at this passage from Psalm 63. This is someone who had found it, had found the relationship with God. This is King David. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. 
That's a love letter from an ancient king to the God who he knew was the only one that could satisfy his soul. Five fingerprints to suggest that God is real. The first, of course, is changed lives. The second is the beauty and precision of this creation. The third is our conscience, the moral map that has been placed inside us. The fourth is honest to goodness discontent. No matter how life, good life gets, there's always in us something that says more. And finally, our relational compass is only fully satisfied when Jesus, raised from the dead, becomes the center of our life. That is some of the Christian answer to, is there a God? Now, I'm going to move to a moment of prayer uh, with you all. And it's really quite simple. I actually wrote a prayer. If there are, would you look at your comment card? Let's, let's put up the connect card, could we guys? And you see the connect card there right on the front at the top. Um, we have three little like boxes, little circles there. And it says, I prayed today to receive Jesus Christ into my life. Or number two, I am recommitting my life to Jesus Christ. At one point, you were a follower. You slipped away and you want to come home. Or three, I'm not ready to make a spiritual decision today, but I'm interested in further dialogue with others who have questions about God and Jesus. You can check one, two, or three of those boxes and then give your card to me or to Chad or take it out to our welcome desk right out there and someone from our church will get in touch with you to invite you uh, to learn more about the decision you're making. Now you're saying, what decision am I making? Let's put the prayer on the screen. This is the prayer I wrote for this morning. I'm just going to read it to you first. Dear God, I believe you exist, even though I cannot see you. I need you to guide my life. I'm sorry for all I've done wrong, and I thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I want to connect with you and become your child. And so as I look out at all of you, um, beautiful men and women, um, I just want to say this as, as someone who loves and knows Jesus Christ. Give it a try. Many of us have and will never go back. All your questions may not be answered, but have enough of them been for you to say, God, I do want to give what I know of my life to you. Or to say, I just want to come back, God. I just want to come back. You're loved with an everlasting love. All right, I'm going to pray that prayer out loud. And if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, you pray it with me. And then um, you'll just continue to sit and as as a team comes up, does the last song, as you, as you just write on your card anything you'd like us to know in those boxes, okay? All right, here's the prayer. Dear God, I believe you exist even though I cannot see you. I need you to guide my life. I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. And I thank you for your forgiveness.
today, I want to connect with you and become your child. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, let us know on the card. If you prayed that prayer, you're saying, a a prayer can't just be magic like that. Of course not. But it was your commitment to God. And if God is who he says he is, you're going to start to see a difference happen right away in your life. God be with you as you consider Jesus Christ.